Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we explore whether Kubernetes is actually creating the amount of cloud portability of infrastructure agnosticism that we hope it will or that it's touted to, really diving into this, this core question of if we're using the same platform across multiple clouds, multiple infrastructures, multiple management teams, does that actually create portability? It's a key question for us in building cloud architectures and making decisions about the arch- about how we build and architect applications, uh, even how we structure our teams. And in this conversation, we get to the heart of answering that question, but our answers might surprise you. Stay tuned and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Would you accept my def- my split between users and operators of Kubernetes? Because like we have Kubernetes vendors, a lot of those Kubernetes vendors are operating Kubernetes on your behalf. The, when we talk about the users, it's really I I consider that a developer audience. Is that a is that a the fair a fair breakdown for you? Um, I I would go even further. I, I say. That that is fair, but I would also add a third category, which is consumers. So, so not not developers, just people deploying things on Kubernetes and I'm running it. Do you think that, like, I, I keep waiting for the operational side of the Kubernetes teams to show up at KubeCon? I mean, they're starting to, I think, because I mean, it's percent. It's a. It was at over half was new at the at the um, EU conference. I, I'm not sure KubeCon is is the right place to discuss operational things like that. Mostly because, again, the KubeCon touches such a big breadth of topics. Um, yeah. And really, with, with conferences, what, what, what draws people in largely is um, the ability to learn about what's new and shiny and, and what, what you can use in the future. Um, the users and, and the operational stuff tends to be, tends to drive more towards workshops, which can usually be attached to the larger conferences. Right. KubeCon does have the, 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 the breakout workshops for for various topics it just doesn't happen to be the like the the main showpiece and they've done a good job although I, i'm frustrated by the commercial model of 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 the adjunct sessions I, I think they've done a good job of of expanding the conference for all those interests um i think that that's been really helpful yeah Sorry, I have a question, Rob. What frustrates you about the fact that um, business conferences or industry conferences have ops as part of them? Why is that frustrating? No, I, it's it's not frustrating. Sorry, the the thing I'm I'm talking about is in the Kubernetes world, they the the day day or two before they have a whole bunch of sponsored 
um, narrow topics. Right. Uh, and the way it's structured is each one of those is a mini conference and you, you buy them. Ah. And so, and so if you want to, and a lot of them are vendor sponsored. So it'll be the like edge. Y'all know I care about edge. Um, yeah. Like there's edge topic, but it's, it's, it's basically a red hat or whoever did it. I think, I think it was red hat was talking about edge. And so they, they were able to buy a edge Kubernetes topic before the event. They still charge money for it. So it was like, like $750 is, is expensive for, a, yeah, for a, a mini conference. And then because it's not affiliated with the event, it's like, if it's not working for me, then I, I can't do what I normally do in a conference, which is start shopping mini events. So I, I would love to, I'd love to, I'd pay $750 for a day of free content, but I want to be able to be like, Hey, this isn't working. I want to go to another venue. Um, and I, that's, so that's what I find frustrating. Um, they, they end up being, you know, vendor sponsored mini events rather than um, con- additional content. You should think about industry association conferences because by industry, you're going to meet those that are at every level, whether it's dev or ops or CIO level or whatever, because they're in, what, what draws them is around the industry. And I think you find that there's, there's a lot of them where you can submit an abstract, get a speaking slot. It costs you virtually nothing because it's an industry event or you can co-sponsor or sponsor and they're relatively inexpensive if you are a sponsor, but then you, then you, you're starting to look at industry segments. So if FinOps, for example, is your sweet spot, then participate in that. You will draw people because that's where the rubber is really hitting the road of my biggest enterprise competitor is at this conference there. They may be a sponsor. It's not all technology vendors. It's enterprise. I, I actually think that that's good, good general advice um, that, that these smaller, these smaller industry specific events are, are probably, you know, there's, there's going to be quality content and it's probably more general from that perspective. So if, if it's all right, I would, I would want to go back to Kubernetes and ask the question of the day, which was, does Kubernetes actually create cloud portability? Have we, have we created a platform that's independent of, the, of clouds enough or, or abstracted enough to actually be like, if I adopt Kubernetes, does that become a, a neutral playground for me or a protection from vendor lock-in? Um, that's our well, question vendor lock-in as opposed to kind of lock into a particular approach architectural approach and and design approach I'd say so, so more the latter than the former you're still you're still locked into something <laughs> oh yeah big way <laughs> it increases the fluidity with, with which you can move from one cloud vendor to another. It does not eliminate the login, especially if you if you try to optimize things. Like for example, Google Cloud has very different 
um, IAM integrations. Uh, so GKE has versus uh, EKS. Um, backup processes are different between cloud uh, vendors. So, I mean, yes, you, you can absolutely build something on top of Kubernetes that is cloud agnostic and it, it will be easy to port from one platform to another. I have done that. Um, but uh, in particular in the enterprise world where they started to talk about compliance, uh, the cost of being cloud agnostic tends to outweigh the benefits. What are the elements of cost that you're referring to? Well, uh, again, so in terms of compliance, for example, you will want to have uh, certain role-based access controls. Uh, you want to make sure that they're auditable. You want to have your logs in, in, in a common place where your security team or your product security team can uh, evaluate them and, and, and deal with incidents. That is significantly simpler if you're targeting one specific cloud platform. Okay. But the other nothing... part. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. The other part to consider is the uh, adjacent services. So if you take something like object storage as the example, are you going to leverage the cloud native object storage? Or are you going to decide, you know, I want portability, so I'm going to leverage something like a, a MinIO and then take on the overhead of managing that across the various different clouds. Mm -hmm. yeah, on databases. Sure. And so that, at that point, that you raise gets, your cost. Yeah. When you're trying to do a multi, multi CSP environment, so you're doing selective data replication, things like that yeah that's that's going to that's going to add in any case it's going to add problems but um so in answer to well actually going back to your original question rob um what are you what would be what would be ideal how would you improve the situation that you encounter given that, yes, it's cloud agnostic, but it is not, it doesn't come without real cost. Um, yeah. <laughs> you have to And complexity. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's, I, I think that some of what I've seen happening with operators is starting to create abstraction points that you could use to to sort of leverage leverage away from um, you know the the details of how a machine gets spun up or the permissions or services i i've been hoping for god it's 10 years now that we've been dealing with kubernetes <laughs> um, that it would it would lead us to have some software choices where we would you know, run something inside of Kubernetes, and and this is happening a ton now. Um, where where it's sort of like, oh, I need to run, you know, this this job. I'm even seeing machine learning jobs spinning up inside of Kubernetes, and you're and 
your the Kubernetes cluster becomes an infrastructure abstraction point so that you can spin up a machine learning process. Um, that strikes me, and this is the question, that strikes me as pretty generic. Like I could run, I should be able to run that on any any cloud infrastructure. Machine language learning is maybe a bad example because GPUs are, are actually pretty specific. But, yeah. um, you know, it, and there's a layer here with teams and teams and um, skill sets too. So if I've got a team that knows how to do this, the, the deltas between Kubernetes, even if there are deltas, might not be so overwhelming. Um, yeah. Right. It's, it, it really is increasing optionality. If, if rather than, you know, if I go and say I'm using EKS, how, you know, how careful do I need to be that my EKS cluster doesn't have IAM roles in it, and S3 storage buckets and VPCs and, you know, well, a whole bunch of Amazon stuff. I think it goes back to two points that Klaus was making. One is compliance, because anytime you do something like that in, in any number of our industries, you've just opened up a real can of worms with regard to basically risk management and yeah. compliance. And um, the other point that you've just made is um, trying to kind of establish a basis on which you will, where you aren't overly dependent on a private labeled application or at, or or a system at one of the cloud cloud vendors and and try to keep it as as portable as possible that ends up you know adding operational overhead and and a lot of a lot of attention so you know it's a i guess the question well here's is one of the other questions are we talking about truly a, a a transition, a, a a wholesale move from one cloud to another, or are we talking about an ongoing collaboration among of your piece parts and your data's across multiple clouds? Because those question. are two very, very different situations that you have to encounter. Yeah, yeah I, I'm that go ahead, Klaus. And that also boils down to the nature of the workload, ultimately. Like if your workload is portable, then yes, Kubernetes makes it easier to move from, from one cloud provider to another. Uh, if your workload is coupled with specific cloud services, um, you might need to, to put in some work. Although, again, in, in my experience, uh, Kubernetes has done a great job at homogenizing the interfaces with which we work. Mm -hmm. So again, which is again why I, I earlier said that it, it has improved the fluidity. So you, you still need to put in the, the work or to, to, to migrate from one service provider to another, but things are becoming more familiar. Hmm. It, I, I had a fascinating conversation with somebody about um, cross-plane and the operator interface, and and I was and they were saying that's great because I can use the Kubernetes APIs to interface with you know spin up infrastructure. And I'm like, you 
there's tons of APIs to use for spinning up infrastructure. Why is the Kubernetes one better? <laughs> and the answer kept coming back to, because it's the Kubernetes one. And I know it. I, I would say and specifically the, exactly. What is specifically the answer is that is that Kubernetes has an as an API has much more added value because it, it's not just that you use the Kubernetes API to, to manage your infrastructure with crossplane. You also take advantage of the Kubernetes reconciliation loops to make sure that the infrastructure stays consistent with your desired state. That is a that is a big deal from an API perspective. Once you're used to that model, it is a very powerful model. Yeah. So, so th there is a lot of complexity hidden behind the Kubernetes API, uh, and it, it just happens to be that that people are starting to take advantage of that complexity. And, and it's as I said before, like it, it's homogenizing the interaction with cloud. That was one of the most impressive things I saw at KubeCon North America in Detroit was uh, the Amazon team was literally building operators in front of every Amazon service. And right. And to do that, they had to build a code generator that would, they would do it. <laughs> there were too many services to do by hand and keep up with. Uh, it was truly impressive. And I, I asked them, I'm like, why, why do you need this? And they're like, because, the people at this at this conference, which you know is a dominant force in industry, want this interface. They they prefer the operator interface over our own APIs, and and that was the jaw dropper for me along these lines. Um, hmm. I, but if if we slowly wrap all these things in the Kubernetes API and create operators for them, even if the operators are distinct, does the commonality of API improve? Like, does, does that mean that it's easier now to interface with any infrastructure? Because I know I'm going to do it through Kubernetes, sort of like what Terraform did with plans. They're all, all plans are different, but they're all plans. Yeah, but would you, I don't know that you would have that level of homogeneity in the long run. You, you're, I'm having a hard time with this because the more operators you add and the more you reuse the same, call it HMI for lack of a better word, because I can't think of the word that I want. Um, you're you're going to have a vanilla, a chocolate, and a strawberry. And then you're going to have pistachio come in out of left field. That's the only way I can think of to put this in an analogy. And the maintenance, the cost, the complexity of maintaining all of that I think is not quite where you want to end up going. No matter how good it is, there's going to be layers of abstraction around it in every different context. That's that's uh, the that's the crux of my question. <laughs> my counterargument is so that I'm the, saying the, training the, wheels. You know, it's on training wheels. It's not there yet. My my counterargument to that is that the operators are what encapsulates encapsulates those layers of abstraction. So let, let's say, for example, as opposed to having to, I mean, yeah, yes, you, you can create an, an RDS instance on, 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 and then you're logged in, in into Amazon, or you can use a database operator to create your database in cluster. And it does all the fancy stuff like the backups, all, all, all the stuff, it does it all for you. 
You just need a simple configuration that it that these these operators are, are essentially expert systems. And and that's what, what the difference is, is that the, the cloud API is, is it is it, the cloud API abstracted those expert systems, but on a cloud specific manner. So when when you create an RDS instance and say like, okay, this is my backup schedule, it all happens in the back background. It's a black box. You don't see what happens. When you use an operator, as long as you don't care, as, as long as you don't dig into it, it's also a black box, but it's a portable black box. I get where you're I get where you're coming from and and I don't disagree. I just see that black box being being well it's slightly darker black here it's slightly more gray in this iteration it's you know that that whole strawberry chocolate vanilla analogy all over again. I can't see that going away anytime soon. You, I, I can't pick up one black box, literally go put it somewhere else and forget about it. It's not autonomous. And it never will be. I, I would I would say I would say the containers gave us a sort of similar thing. They're they're portable, they're not identical. Right. And that, that was okay. It was it was enough. Mm-hmm. Kubernetes gives you a lot of uh, consistent, unpredictable interface. You, you you have your your capability to run uh, containers as deployment or stateful sets, however you want to uh, roll this out. Um, yeah. You have your predictable, opinionated storage provider. You have your predictable, opinionated sched- scheduler. All that together is 90% of what an operator needs to make its own decisions. Like as long as as you can provision a storage volume uh, and run a a certain kind of workload with with a particular configuration, you have your in-cluster database. Uh, And then you have optional configurations, which is where the vanilla chocolate strawberry stuff comes in in place. the important part is that these are now that 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 you have sane defaults. So it, it's one step ahead of a, a setup like a like a cloud API because mm-hmm. it you now get a recipe that says this is the recommended way of doing this. And doesn't Klaus doesn't that kind of go back to a little bit the statement you were making about QCon or couple of the others play other venues where you were seeing consumers kind of real yes. users not operators and it's those people it's those consumers that are you know kind of inching toward almost a self-serve kind of ops approach yes. because they have they have those um defaults and you can you can you know Pull the pull the trigger on it and have a reasonable chance of standing up something that will operate. It just won't necessarily be optimal, or you'll have a basis on which to, you know, incrementally change it to to uh, 
work with uh, work exactly the way you would want. Absolutely, yeah. Like it, 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 it automates so much that mm. you you can as a consumer when you run things on a Kubernetes platform, you literally sleep better because you know that if things go sideways, the cluster will do its best to recover it. Yeah. What does that imply for the kind of swarm of point products and and kind of tools and toollets that seem to surround everybody, or used to at least, surround everybody when you started out using Kubernetes? Because that was one of the things that both added to the the complexity and the confusion because you you had to figure out okay which which version of which tool do I want to utilize here to get even close to what I want? Are we getting closer to something that's more homogeneous because of the this automation? Um, I I think that there are certain products that are the clear popular winners for for certain targets um i don't think we are fully homogeneous yet i would say that we are more or less in the equivalent of the operating system wars of the odds like around like 2005 or so where you, or or maybe a little bit earlier where you had all of this wonderful research like all of the, the new ideas you, you because you not you not only had windows and mac os and and, and and linux which was fairly fresh by by then still but you also had bos you had qnix you you had multix you had all of the other other and you had the variations of unix exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, there was a lot of room to play and, and, and make mistakes and figure out things that, that would work. And we're still in, 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 we're in the late phase of that, but we're still in, the, in that phase with, with Kurnes. Uh, but it's also great because it, this is, becomes an incubator of, of new ideas and, and, and new designs. Um, things that were taken for granted 10 years ago are no longer the the the, the best practice. Right. Well, taking that image and kind of projecting the trajectory, at what point do you? How would you characterize the situation when it gets to, uh, you know, kind of gets to the next major milestone in this? How what what goes away? What does that do to? the it's going to turn into some consolidations of certain kinds of tools and systems what how would you characterize that next turn of the crank i think the point of inflection is going to be when new development targets a cloud native approach first right right now we still have development happening Mm. that tends to be local first and then cloud native gets added later 
we're we're moving towards a a a point where we can say like there's no point in developing like local first Let, let's just make it cloud native in, in, the, in the first place in the first place and and yeah. then because we'll be able if for some reason we need local implementation that's not going to be out that's not going to be that difficult to pull off exactly yeah. and i mean yeah we still have a lot of legacy baggage that, that needs to be <laughs> removed uh yeah. and it, like it it it's probably never going to fully move there like we, we're still maintaining COBOL systems these days uh but i i, I think there, there's going to be a time where cloud native is going to be the majority and and i would say at that point uh the the ecosystem has stabilized are there any one, one thing there any things i'm sorry go ahead is the cloud native to me has the word cloud in it but it's really you're really describing an architecture not a not a destination exactly yeah but it, it is there... i think it is a more portable dynamic it's a more elastic right there's a whole bunch of characteristics of this that are back to the original question are less um infrastructure specific in design or uh, mm -hmm. infrastructure abstracted maybe is the right way to yeah. say it and there are new technologies that arose because of Kubernetes and, and, and because of Kubernetes type of approach which are now making it much much easier to to bring cloud native approaches to uh to environment where where previously it was untenable like iot um like 10 years ago run, running something on an on an edge device those devices were very low powered uh and you had very little means of configuring them uh but uh with with new architectures and, and new designs this is becoming possible now yeah okay well yeah and i mean to your point klaus yes for eSIM, for isim for all of the configurability of those devices and they are getting smarter as well that's probably going that's a market in need of a mini version of kubernetes yep that modularity that homogeneity all of those things those are forthcoming and i think that's going to drive back into you know at a different point where kubernetes evolved from I just see it as something else is going to interfere called AI. Well, will it interfere or will it, well, in what way will it interfere? Because I could also see that becoming so prevalent that it kind of becomes a, a gravity well. It's, it becomes well, that's what I mean. almost, a, that's almost what I mean a, defining, a defining architecture. Yes, our architectural I mean. influence. Why yeah, is that interfere? Yeah, no, I I don't mean it in in the interfere as in will cause friction. I mean as in will drop into the mixture and take over. Why not okay. have an AI okay. that generates okay. your Kubernetes or your cluster or your not your cluster your your microservice if you will. And can oh, discern you're, you're, you, okay. between I, the cloud I wasn't, providers. 
Okay. I wasn't sure you were talking about AI as guiding and building and and configuring or that the amount of quote AI ML that's being done is so prevalent that that's just a, you know, you have to consider that to be the the most prevalent, if not, it, it's going to it's going to to me it's going to be where you're going to spend your money. Sorry, yes. my evolution in AI is that if there is a pattern like an operator that it right now is sort of hard to use and hard to set up. It's, you know, we're, we're not going to be replacing that. The AIs are actually going to drive us to use that, you know, make that, that pattern even more entrenched because it's going to make it accept, you know, a, a complex, relatively complex pattern that has high utility even more accessible. Right. And so it actually might okay. accelerate. I, w- I would expect it if the, if the patterns are working, then we, we, AI should push us, I'm hoping, this is what I've been writing about, AI should push us towards the patterns, not yeah. away from the patterns. Yeah, it, it, will, yes, it will essentially take you from declarative configuration, which is what Kubernetes champions now, to yeah. declarative requirement specification, and then AI does the declarative configuration, so, so it, it intermeshes with, uh, with cognitive approaches pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, uh, just very recently, and this is a different topic completely, and I'm not going down a rabbit hole here, but just to mention, uh, I have a client that has developed a fully autonomous security cross-cloud. And it's agentless. It's fully AI. Uh, it's taken them a long time to develop, but it's amazing. And you literally interact with it almost in the same way as you would, you know, a chat GTP in terms of convenience and capability uh, of it all being meshed behind the scenes. If you can do that with something as complicated as introspecting the interdependencies for vulnerability of Amazon services in the Amazon cloud and draw parallels from GCP and Azure and say, by the way, these are all the vulnerabilities you're going to have to patch right now because you have backdoors that you weren't aware of through a software bill of materials. There is no reason that AI interference, as I call it, meaning changing the market completely around where Kubernetes goes or where any of the, the like capabilities go is not far behind. Because I look at security the same way as I look at manufacturing. Big, complex problems. If you can start to solve those with some real good outcomes, then these are repeatable, smaller, and more quickly will come to market. That's what I mean by interference. Do you think that there's a chance that... Because I, I, I like what you're saying, and I'm I'm wondering if there's a chance that the... AIs could also be nudging you towards proven patterns, like reviewing your code and saying, I I saw that you did this, but you you could accomplish the same thing by following this approved pattern with governance. And I here I'll help you make the changes to follow the pattern, right? That that would security and compliance in companies dramatically. Well, it also it also it also makes these systems at this level item potent 
you get the same result every time you put in the same, you know, the same incantation. And that's one of the issues that, you know, goes to the compliance issues that Klaus was talking about, as well as the kind of the, I won't call it self-service, but it certainly makes it uh, approachable to do multi, multi-cloud without the pain. Well, not only that. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, Not only that, but, you know, it is aware. It is aware of anomalies. It is aware of triggers. It is aware of events so that it can say, um, I wouldn't say to the degree of foresight, for example, but it's smart enough and educated enough that those those patterns can be conceived as how they will change in time based on historical and based on real time. So it's not static. It's a very dynamic kind of capability. And when I look at this and I go, I mean, I I, I literally was gobsmacked by this thing's capability, developed by mathematicians, by the way. And in that context, I could see taking the same sort of capability framework, if you will, and porting that to any number of other kind of problems, whether it's container design, configuration, um, virtually anything. And I'm not saying end of world is near. I'm just saying that when you have that level of sophistication, somebody else is going to come up with the level of sophistication around the other parts of the stack and the operator's task and the dev's task. Interestingly, I think all this argues, though, to, to, you know, something like Kubernetes, which is complex but generic, being more accessible as a, you know, you can cope with the variations. It if, if your AIs are driving you to use it in a consistent, repeatable way that follows conformance and security, then the abstracting the variance between different infrastructures is is not you know, something that happens on the back end. And, yeah, and, what, and what we're actually it's hidden. It becomes part of the black box. Supporting, supporting sort of the premise that yes, it actually could, especially with AI, increase our capabilities. Yes, possibly. Um, I haven't seen anybody running or play. <laughs> Pardon me. Applying AI to Kubernetes. Maybe there are people, maybe there are companies out there that are doing it. I just haven't seen it. And I'm having difficulty trying to envision how you would machine learn, go through the training and testing in the machine learning of the Kubernetes cluster. Maybe it's easier than I think. Uh, it It is being done, uh, particularly on the machine learning side. Um, okay. Uh, KEDA is probably the most well-established site. So it's it's not AI, it is strictly machine learning, but essentially it, it it increases the capability of your auto-scaling 
um, behavior in your cluster. So, so that you don't just scale it based on load, but you can also predict based on usage patterns or, or other kind of uh, inputs to say like, you know what? I, I, I think that given the current traffic that I'm seeing uh, in the next hour, my load is going to go up. So yeah. you can you can preempt forecasting, that. forecasting yeah. prediction. Or in the case like that, um, Klaus, what's the what's the most valuable source of information for the ML exercise? Is it the logs? Is it something else? that are coming off of the Kubernetes? The way it's most commonly used is metrics. So, so you, you, Prometheus is more or less a de, de facto metrics uh, aggregation right. for, for cloud native uh, tooling. So with that, you have your history of, of your load. So, so a very simple, pred predictable, like ML-based uh, scaling is to say, to look at, the uh seven day frequency or 30 day frequency to say like okay day of week or or or, or time of month where where the system is busiest and then scale accordingly mm. uh you can also do other kind of behavior like again like the, the default all scaler is cpu and memory based but you can very easily also let's say collect metrics on the number of requests that or the size of the requests, or the timing of the requests, so that even if your if if your container is not using a lot of CPU or not using a lot of memory, but if the request is certainly taking more than five seconds, you spin up more containers. Hmm. So again, like it, it it gives you the flexibility, and and again the the A part here is. Mostly circumstantial, but it gives you the, the the power to plug it in as a data source, right? Because you, you just say, you look at your data and say like, do I need to scale it? Yes or no? And you now that you have all the metrics, you can do your machine learning. You you can use your AI to do much smarter scaling. And you see something like Prometheus and the and the metrics coming off of Prometheus as being that that the kind of basis that would uh, also move across different, not just different um, cloud infrastructures, but even different uh, systems products, uh, vendor different vendors. I, I wouldn't say becoming. I I, I would say that. A critical mass of vendors are, are already providing their own machine right. learning integrations to yeah. mostly for alerting, but, but like this can also be well, very alerting, easily used for, for other yeah. kind of behavior. Yeah, you'd want alerting, um, you'd want forecasting, yeah. you'd want predictive kinds yeah. of, uh, you'd go from alerting to kind of forecast predictive yeah. to actually prescriptive. And that's the that's the that's the pathway there. 
Now, now those are the low-hanging branches. You could very easily also use a, like an LLM type of AI to generate workload, like your, your manifests for your workloads to say like, okay, like I, yeah. I want to deploy uh, a system that does this. Here's my container. Uh, I wanted to have these scaling capabilities or I, I want to have these triggers. And it goes and creates the manifest for you. Uh, in particular, if it can do that in a matter that is compliant with security requirements, that's where the majority of the dev work ends up being. Like going back and forth with, with the security team saying, like, you don't need to run this container as root. Don't do it. If the if the if the AI can just update it to, to make it work for you then that's half of your time saved already. Mm -hmm. Can it do introspection for pattern recognition to the actual, to the whether it's in the manifest or the actual workload? Um, introspection in, in which context well in the sense of you know when you're when you're doing the predictive predictability for scaling up or you know at busy times is the machine learning being done in such a way that it learns which sub process or which sub service of a service is taking is requiring that need so that you can it's not about peaks and troughs. It's about um, the way this service is created takes more resources, let's say. So because I have a, an interest, I, I'm asking the question because someone asked me if there was a way to predict carbon capture, energy utility in compute or in storage usage or from the services. Um. So the, the introspection will, at least the systems that uh, that do it now, it, it it largely depends on the algorithm used. So again, right. you, you 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 again, it's not just peaks and valleys. It is again, it's it's trends as well. Um, you can you can parameterize it to say like, okay, look at these specific values. Um, right. The I think that where AI or LLM type AI can come in and help is. Uh, it can help point out which particular parameters are more likely to be useful. Well, that's a step forward. Absolutely. Anyway, I, I, th I think Rob is telling us to uh, um, wrap, it, wrap it up. So, I no, will. Uh, great, great conversation. Thank you, Klaus. It's, it's been really helpful. To hear how hear your view on it. Glad I, I could give in my uh, two cents. <laughs> no. Till next time. Okay. Adios. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Cloud Twenty Thirty podcast. Uh, we love having these types of conversations. Uh, this is a really unusual and special space where we get to 
debate and discuss this hallway track subject uh, really from much broader perspectives. If you enjoy these conversations, please uh, come in and join us at the 2030.cloud. You can find our schedule, links to join, and you can come in and be a part of the roundtable, ask questions, contribute topics. Um, we are looking forward to talking with you. And thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.